in our gospel today. I, I love this guy, <clears throat> the centurion. He's a, a Roman centurion, so you, it's, a, it's an interesting, this guy's an interesting figure. You gotta kind of put him in context here. The Romans were occupying Palestine, okay, so it, this is, there's a tension between the Romans and the local Jewish people, okay. So, this guy, his, um, openness to, uh, Christ is all the more remarkable, okay. You gotta kind of imagine, put yourself in his place and, and, uh, there is a whole class of, uh, Gentiles who were connected to the Jewish religion, connected to the synagogue, and yet they, the men amongst them, didn't want to go the full way and become circumcised. Okay, circumcision is is for an for a child is unbelievable. For an adult, is incredibly painful. Okay, so a lot of a lot of these guys, they really thought Judaism was was amazing, was a great religion, but they just didn't go the whole way because they didn't want to become circumcised. So what they would do is they were called uh, proselytes of the gate. The, the, the Jews would call them proselytes of the gate because they kind of hung out by the door of the synagogue, so to speak. Okay, And so they would attend synagogue on the Sabbath and they would just kind of be in the back. And they would hear the law and they would worship the one true God of Israel and they put aside all idolatry so they didn't commit any kind of... Uh, they, they had no connection. They left their idolatrous past behind. Uh, but yet they didn't go the full way and observe all the Jewish laws and everything else. So they, they were an interesting class of people. And this centurion would have fallen into that category. But you have to, it's remarkable. How does a man get to that, that point? We know from another gospel it says, um, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting here in Matthew, it appears that the centurion himself is approaching Jesus. In another gospel it seems like he's, the centurion is approaching Jesus via some Jewish uh, messengers. Okay, so it's not exactly clear what exactly is going on. I don't know how to reconcile those two differing accounts, but in any event, in the other gospel account, it's it's interesting because the Jewish messengers who approach Jesus on behalf of the centurion, they say, "This man loves our nation, and he's built our synagogue." Okay, and if you go to Capernaum today, uh, they have uncovered the foundation of a synagogue. Now it's probably a second synagogue that was built on top of the one that this is, that this is referring to. Uh, so it's not exactly the same synagogue that the centurion built, but you're kind of getting close to it. I mean, it's kind of neat. You can go, you can touch the actual stones of the second synagogue that was built over the synagogue that this guy had financed. So he must have money. Okay. He probably was, he probably grew up in Italy or Rome. Okay, maybe he saw Jewish people there and he started to become attracted to their religion. And here he is, he's, he's probably part of a military family because if he's a high-ranking officer, that's usually not just someone off the streets, usually it was in the family. Okay, so he's probably in a military family. And then he's stationed all the way in Palestine and there's tension between, he, he, he perceives himself clearly as an occupying kind of enemy in a certain sense, an overlord, and here are these people but yet, he's very, very generous to them. And he recognizes that they're the heirs of the one true revealed religion of God. It's, a, it's really, the guy's a remarkable man to be able to kind of have that insight. Okay, And I think his military, now Deacon Bob is going to love me here, I think his military background helped him navigate his way through this whole uh, discernment process. 
Because in the military, you have a very clear chain of command. And you know if you, you know, you monkey with one of those links in that command, it screws up the whole the whole system. Okay, everything collapsed. So you, it's absolutely essential to keep that chain of command intact. And he recognizes in Judaism a very well sort of organized authority structure, kind of ultimately grounded in the supreme authority of God. And then when Jesus comes along, he probably, this is just suspicion or guess, but he probably had some very credible accounts of healings that Jesus had already done. And uh, more than that, though, I think, or at least in addition to Jesus' miracles, that the, you know he had good knowledge that this is not just a rumor. You know, th- this person was crippled, and he now he's walking. This person was dead, <laughs> and now he's alive. So this this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, is really something else. But in addition to the miracles, in addition to the miracles, I think it was the utter holiness of the person of Jesus of Nazareth that was incredibly convincing and and credible to the conscience of the centurion. You see, we we talk about, in Christianity, we talk about faith and morals. Faith and morals, okay? Now, faith is very oftentimes dealing with mysteries. And there isn't any kind of natural reference by which to know if someone's teaching you a particular doctrine in faith, it's kind of like you don't really know, it's not evident to your reason that it's true or false, okay? It's an issue of faith. But when it comes to morals, on the other hand, that is something that's kind of evident to human reason and to human nature, all right? Ethics and morals don't involve mysteries. It involves natural, rational apprehension of just truths that are embedded in the nature of things. And we can kind of perceive and figure those things out with our mind. So when someone who comes with the holiness that you see in Jesus, wow, this guy is under authority. Okay, he is incredibly obedient to the moral law. It's very, very evident. And so the centurion has an analog in his own experience. I know what it's like to be under authority. And as me being under authority enables me to be over, to be in authority over others. Okay, because it's that whole chain of command. If you're under authority, it's the only way that you can actually command authority. All right, And so he recognizes Jesus is under authority in the sense that he is a holy guy and he is obeying the moral law in a manner that he's never seen before. Okay, And then his miracles, you know, it's evident that this guy is coming on behalf of God. And so just as it is in my own life, so the centurion's thinking to himself, I'm under authority and I know when I'm under my authority, I got the, you know, the ranks all properly, you know, sort of embraced and appreciated, I know that I can then wield authority. And so also with this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, because so evidently he's under so much this authority because he's so moral and obedient to the moral law, I have that confidence now that whatever he says is going to be the case. You know, and he, and it's neat too because he says to Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. And so it's not like, you know, Whoa, I gave a lot of money to the Jewish community. I, I better have one of their rabbis come and honor me with his presence. You know what I mean? So I can have all of this kind of attention and be in the limelight. <laughs> okay. So the guy is really humble as well, too. He just, he's really got it. He's really got it. And so that's why Jesus is in such awe. He's like, this guy really has faith. And that's neat, too, because 
Faith in connection with authority and humility. That's so important. Faith is so intimately bound with authority and humility. People today sometimes they'll use an expression like, oh, but they really got faith. It's like, oh, this is my faith. And when you start to dig deep under, under what they're saying, and they're just talking about like it's a subjective feeling that they have. I just really believe this thing. That's not what faith is. Faith is a response to an authority that's teaching us something. Okay, that's what faith is. It's a response to authority. And in the case of divine faith, it's a response to the authority of God. Okay, speaking to us through his prophets or through Christ or through the church or what have you. So this is why St. Paul in Romans, he talks about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. So obedience and faith are really uh, synonymous because you are obeying when, when an authority speaks and tells you something is the case and you believe it, it's an act of obedience. So faith and obedience are, are closely connected to each other. Um, and that's very different than how we think about today. You know, we as Catholics, we talk about our, our separated brothers and sisters in the Protestant communities, and it's I think it's something very important to very to much to clarify. It we respect their conscience. Number one, we believe that it's possible for them to be saved. We believe that God's grace is in their lives and that it's possible for them to be saved. But they're saved only on the basis of what they believe in truth. Okay, they believe true things. They believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, they believe that He rose from the dead. Those are saving, those are truths that God has really revealed to them. So that's what saves them. Their errors don't save them, no matter how much they believe in them. Okay, so you can have all the faith in the world, but if it's just a subjective shot in the dark and not a response to the authority of God revealing, it's not going to help you. Alright, I can believe that God is a purple, you know, flying elephant in the sky and, and, and that, you know, the Trinity is a spaghetti monster or something like that. I can believe that all I want. I could be a, an insane person. It's not going to help me, alright? There's, there's no salvation that's going to come in, re, in, in response to that. So faith is a response to the authority of God. And so for our Protestant brothers and sisters, uh, if they're saved, they're saved because of the things that they believe that really are and really have been revealed. And God looks the other way when it comes to their errors because of them being inculpably ignorant. You know, God understands there's a sort of a subjective dimension to this. They've grown up under a certain tradition. Um, you know, they haven't had the time in their life to investigate a particular question. They trust their parents, those sorts of things, okay? But there's, there's error, you know, kind of woven into their, uh, into their religion. And it's the true elements of their religion that save them, okay? So faith and obedience are so closely bound, and I think this is one of the things that we learn about today, uh, when we see this, this figure, of the uh, of the centurion he looks to Jesus and he sees a man under authority and then he sees that he is able then to command the healing of his servants and Jesus says wow what faith what faith so may it be the same for us as well my brothers and sisters this advent season as we prepare for uh the coming of Christ on Christmas